From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in exhaustive, inexhaustive Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are making a game demo and physical games. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> You know, we do that thing at the top of the show where, like, the theme song ends, and then there's that, like, moment, and then we all just, like, bust out laughing. (laughs) 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 It's just kind of autonomic. I wonder if our listeners think it's charming or sick of it. Let us know. (laughs) 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 slash feedback. Subtle. Very subtle. Speaking of things that are insufferable (laughs) with this program. Yeah. Uh, So, Glitch is throwing a birthday party. Yes. Uh, Glitch right. is turning Happy birthday eight. to Glitch. Happy birthday <laughs> to Glitch. You're, you look like a monkey. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't look like a monkey. Uh, yeah, so Glitch is eight years old. Stephen, you've been around for all of Glitch's life. Yes, so I you, have. you know the early days and I the do. modern era. And ah, there Tepone. Was, yes, there were, some, there were some fun times. Yeah. Old school Glitch. Uh, yes, Tepone Gaming was what they used to be called. And I'm so glad they changed the name because nobody could even spell that name. Let alone know what it said when I told people about it. I tell my dad, "I'm going. To, I'm going to tape on gaming." And he'd be like, "What? What is that?" Now that sounds um, like it's another language, but isn't it just? It's Leet speak. Yeah, it's just Leet speak, right? Yeah, right. Gamers would know what that is. I don't know what that is. What are you saying about me then? <laughs> like I'd literally, I literally, mean, yeah, yeah, pwn like own, right? Yeah, like, that's what that's yep. that. Yes, which I, people usually say. Uh, do they usually say pawn when they say that, right? No. 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 Actually, people say pawn. Yeah. I used to say pawn, pun when I yeah. say it, but then people laughed at me when right. I said it that way. So it's, it's also, I guess it's something that's just not said aloud very much. Right. Yes. So it's just weirder the name of it. Also, like, nobody uses these terms anymore. And what's the other word supposed to mean? Te like, is the. Like the. The, really? Yeah, it's just when you type really fast. Well, yeah, sometimes. like, it's the, I, I've seen that. But yeah. I, like, purposely misspelling the, but I've mm. never u- seen anyone use that deliberately in, like, a, a way other than, like, a specific to gaming. Eight years ago, there was a group. Yeah. <laughs> group that did that. <laughs> there was a group, yeah, yeah, yeah. And eight years later, we had a birthday party. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm impeaching the choice of this, but everyone else hates it, too. Like, it's not. Yeah, no, we, that's why they changed the It's name. an embarrassing thing. <laughs> <laughs> Nick and Ava will both t- say, like, yeah, it was a bad, bad call. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yes. The birthday party is happening May 11th? 12th. 12th. I was just looking up. Yes, it was going to be 11th to 12th now. It's a Saturday. Yes. Um, and it's happening at uh, Urban Growler. It's mm. a, a brewery in Minneapolis. Um, it's the only uh, female-owned brewery in the city, which is oh. pretty cool. Mm. A little piece of trivia about it. Um, it's going to be a bunch of events there. There's going to be an arcade. There's going to be, I guess, birthday presents. I'm just reading the, 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 the event listing now. Uh, donuts and beer, so come for that, if nothing else. Uh, photo booth. And there's going to be some of the community events we do here at Glitch. We're going to see you do some of that stuff yeah. there. We're still working out the details on that, but I might be uh, hosting some VR stuff. I know that uh, Nick Miller is going to do uh, Dungeons & Dragons uh-huh. uh, you know, in a dark corner somewhere. Martha, you might be roped in to doing some stuff as well. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a fun time. So yeah. uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but uh, glitch.mn, you can check it out for yourself. Yes. Um, and it's open and uh, I don't think it, uh, tickets are limited because the, 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 the building has a fire code. Right. But uh, I don't, it doesn't cost anything to, to go. So No, yeah, it's free. Yeah, so check that out. And they have donuts. <laughs> free donuts. We should have just led with that. Yeah, Did free, nothing else. Free donuts. Free donuts. Also, Glitch is having a birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> free donuts. <laughs> Um, Mark, I don't think we've read it up on the show before, but yeah. we're, we're trying to get widget satchel on consoles. That is right. Um, and man, this, it's going to be a nice topic once we, we go through the whole process. Mm-hmm. But um, we've been, uh, this is a process that started for me when I was going to GDC. Um, I took a widget satchel, a trailer that we had put together, and I was putting it in front of publishers and, yeah. and platform holders. Yeah. I met with some uh, Nintendo people and, and uh, went to the, the, the Xbox like uh, game lobby area where they had people you can talk to. So I didn't have meetings or anything with those people, but, um, and uh, talked to some PlayStation reps and like, and it really made me think. And then some of the talks I went to, I just mm-hmm. got the, got it in my head and I might just be just deciding this rather than being the best thing. But I'm like, widget satchel is a console game. Like it's a 2d platformer. It's got a cute mascot character. It just feels like a console game. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've started the process of, of going through all of those, the things you need to do to get your games on consoles, which is not technical at all. It's very much, 
bureaucratic filling out forms, uh, typing up pitch documents and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so in service of that, um, the Widgets Hatchel team is making a demo uh, to present to, uh, in this case, uh, Xbox and Nintendo, which require um, uh, you to pitch them your yep. project. Yep. Uh, and, a, and a vertical slice demo is really beneficial. So we'll talk about that in the game demo topic uh, later. But uh, PlayStation is a little different. They do um, they they uh, sign you on as a company, not as not as a as a. They don't evaluate game proposals necessarily. And so I've been going through that uh, because it's a, we have all we need for that. And it's been kind of crazy. So I can't wait to talk about that in more detail on the show. Um, because it's very interesting. And then, there's, of course, there's things behind NDAs. But there's a lot mm-hmm. that, that you can learn that I think people should know. Um, the main thing is getting your game on console is like ha- still hard, yeah. but it's w- not as hard as you think it is. Yeah. Um, and that's coming from someone who has not done all of it just yet, but um, uh, um, I feel pretty confident that like um, people underestimate their ability to get their work yeah. on these big platforms. It's and, much easier to do it than it has been in the past. Right. It's, yeah. Things have changed, yes. but also I think that um, it's it's a you know it's kind of about sending emails more than it is about anything else mm-hmm. in a way, and it's a matter of like deciding to do it. Yeah, um, but it's it's weird and and kind of confusing and sort of complicated. So yeah, I can't I can't I can't wait to make that whole topic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like doing that already, but <laughs> yes, we will get back to that at a later date. We have more things to talk about before we, we start do. the show, right? Yes, uh, Sarah. Sarah Ferret, who's been on the show before. And is a member of the Widgets Hatchel team. Yes! Uh, did a, a VR game. And uh, she showed it off at the Orchestra Hall here in, in, in Minneapolis. Uh, and it was good. It's really good. It, yeah, it yeah. reminded me of Mist a lot. And I actually, I haven't played Mist, but you know, I've seen videos and pictures and stuff with like all Isn't of Isn't it at Oregon? Like some sort Yes, it's like Oregon a- VR, I think is the name of the thing. Yeah, Oregon Temple VR. Oregon Temple VR. Yeah. So this is a thing where uh, uh, Glitch has this great relationship with the uh, Orchestra Hall, um, the Minnesota Orchestra here uh, in Minneapolis, and um, they, do, they do these uh, uh, um, uh, like sort of coordinated events where they, uh, Orchestra Hall have a big concert, mm-hmm. and then they'll invite Glitch to bring an installation or something to the lobby yep. for people to try out as they're like, you know, getting doing their drink orders and getting ready for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and though that lobby is open to the public before the show starts, so more people than just the attendees can, can, can pop in. And uh, um, Glitch has done a lot of these. And yes. I, I did one with them last year with my uh, Star Trek uh, holodeck VR thing. Yeah, uh, when they had the Star Trek Live uh, show there, and yeah. uh, uh, this event was a really interesting organist who built uh, an organ out of electronic parts oh. and giant stack, giant speaker stacks. Oh, because an an organ is something that's built into a building. Like you can't mm-hmm. you can't tour with like a full organ. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I, this is probably I mean, I, I'm like, oh right, of course. Like it's just not it's not part of popular music exactly. So you mm-hmm. don't think about really what it would take to bring organ music around. Mm-hmm. And so, but he built this thing that's modular and is mostly digital. And when he plays it, it just sounds like an organ. So it's kind of <laughs> huh. like kind of like well, what's the point? It's yeah. not like techno music or like electronic organ music, but it's that you can bring that traditional full scale like church scale organ sound around to different places and so he's touring with it very interesting stuff and so that's what this this show was and so sarah was enlisted to to do a a vr demo that sort of tied into it and like it's really amazing Mm -hmm. um and very good so steven you and i went and checked it out yesterday on on our timetable and uh it's there again uh tonight when as we're recording but by the time you hear this it will be gone but we're going to try to convince sarah to get it out there in the world so you can see it for yourself yeah we'll we'll send links because sarah's been posting pictures and stuff of it oh yeah on twitter so uh, we'll send links to those. Yeah. It's so great to see VR stuff out of this community mm-hmm. because it's this Wild West space and like everyone's doing really interesting things. You know? Yes. Speaking of everyone, there's also Andrew. Yeah. The VR experience that you checked out uh, the other day, Mark. Yeah. He, it's so interesting. Um, Andrew Flatabo, a yes. member of our community and um, uh, 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 an alumni of the immersion program uh, that uh, Martha and I, uh, it was part of our, our cohort. Um, he uh, has been working on this project for a long time as part of his his um, his art degree. I don't know if it's a doctorate or a master's because um, I haven't really grilled him on that. But um, as part of the the show uh, here at the University of Minnesota, um, he put out um, uh, he set up this great sort of dark space and and he built a, a great um, you know how you, when you can tether a VR cable to the ceiling. He so he built this great experience, a way to show off this VR experience, and um, it's. It's this narrative experience. It's a bunch of scenes, and I, I'm struggling to describe it because you kind of have to do it for yourself. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to mention it on the show is just because he is definitely going to be releasing it publicly. Oh, um, cool. 
it'll probably, it's, I don't think it'll be out by the time you listener hears this, but we'll, I want to get it on your radar because yeah. it's a, it's a really interesting experience and it comes from a, a, a you know, uh, it has a really good UX and gameplay elements to it, mm-hmm. which is really good. And that's the thing he's been working on really hard is making it feel really like um, approachable in terms of a, a, of a technical experience. But the content is like all just his art- artistic sensibilities in a way that is really interesting. I think a lot of that in VR tends to be humorous or um, ironic. And that it re- if you're not doing a full game, you do something silly. But Andrew, I think, had a better instinct, which is mm-hmm. to just express his artistic instincts and not have to lean into the novelty or the silliness of it the way I think a lot of people do um, for these non-game experiences. Yeah. Um, it's really, really great. And yeah. it, it's choice-based, so you can, you, it, you can play it over and over again and see different things. Cool. Um, and the best thing, the most interesting, I really have to grill him on this, and I want to get him on the show to talk about mm-hmm. it, is when you experience it, at the end, he prints out this big, like, um, stri- it's like a re- big receipt, and you, you read this long strip of paper, and it has all your choices written out in first person. So it says, I did this, I did that. And it actually makes you remember the experience in a, in a really interesting way that you would otherwise be like, oh, yeah, I did a bunch of things. But you don't really try to catalog it because it kind of feels sort of like um, kind of uh, fluid and sort of uh, um, ephemeral. And you, but then when you see this sort of linear thing written out yeah. of your choices, yeah. on, uh, like it's your receipt of your experience. Yeah. Um, and he had an Arduino set up to, to print these and get the data from the application. And I was really impressed with that. Um, as a way to walk away from an installation experience. Um, so I, anyway, it, it, it blew me away. I was very excited to, to do it and very mm-hmm. happy to see it um, in the state it's in because he's been working on it for a long time. And hopefully you, listener, will get a chance to try it too uh, sometime in the future. Yeah. Uh, also, Mark brought a, brought a bag of marshmallows with his tax return, I guess. <laughs> it's in the notes. It's in the notes. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I have. Can you hear that? <laughs> It's those like uh, you know those dried marshmallows that you get in uh, in cereal. They right. sell them in giant three pound bags. Yeah, it's a three pound bag of marshmallows. And I was doing my tax uh, taxes, and and like five minutes of doing my taxes, then five minutes of goofing off on the internet, and it just like I happened to see, oh, this thing is on sale for really cheap, and I'm like, <laughs> I have a tax refund coming. <laughs> so I just wanted to let everybody know. I'll put the link in the show notes. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> I don't know. On that note, we could we could skip that. Was that for you? <laughs> well, I'm not editing this one, so well, we'll see. Actually, I don't know. Anyway, uh, on that note, Mark, you yeah. have a topic. Do I ever? Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to talk about making a game demo. And uh, like I mentioned up top, this is because we've been doing this for Widget Satchel, where we've been making um, sort of uh, distilling our experience. Because a lot of working on Widget Satchel. We really refined the feel of it and all the components to build stuff. But then we were taking it to playtest. Um, we're like, we don't have a lot of content yet, exactly. Yeah. So it's actually hard to show the game. And so it's one of the reasons why we made a trailer to show off at GDC rather than bringing a build to GDC, even though we could have made a build. We're, we're, we're pretty far along in terms of the game sort of working. Um, it's just not a lot of content yet. So yeah. we got together and we planned out content for, um, uh, I guess we're calling it a demo, but sort of like a vertical slice that we're going to be showing off to publishers. And it got me thinking about the just the process of making a demo and the types um, that you do. So we can talk more about uh, you know how, our thinking on Widget Satchel. But I just wanted to talk about sort of the types of demos that you're thinking of. And, and this has definitely changed over time. I'll ask you guys about your memories of these things uh-huh. too, because it's sort of it's part of gaming history too. The yes. way things have changed and how you experience games in this way. Yeah, I do. I do want to clarify. Uh, you're specifically talking about demos, like you give to people and they can just play it whenever they want on their own, or are you talking about demos that you have at like uh, events and such? Well, I guess, I mean, that's certainly, I was thinking more of just like an actual, like uh, uh, a small scale demo. And that's why these are the types that, 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 that I'll describe. But oh, yeah, okay. that, that's a fourth type actually. Yeah. Um, but the, the third of three I've got here are, um, so a limited content demo, like a vertical slice. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the kinds of things you generally hear about uh, when you read previews at E3 of like a new game that's coming out, like a, 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 you know, a, a games journalist will be like, yeah, I played this level and there's a bunch of things, but keep in mind, it's just a vertical slice and so they could be fooling me. Yeah. It, that's, that's what these kinds of things are. And those are, very ma- those are made very commonly for promotional purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, to, and also, uh, you, know, you read a lot of stories from uh, development teams who um, they chug away at the sort of guts of a project and they, like, as soon as the team, the team starts to, like, get into the weeds of it, right? Like, there's not a lot of, it's just a grind of getting the middle part of a game put together. Um, they'll have to make a vertical slice for E3, and they'll go crazy trying to get it. But then, 
Um, I read a lot about people saying, yeah, it was, it feels like kind of a waste of time because we're going to throw away a lot of this content, but it made us feel, understand what the game was and actually be able to play it for ourselves mm-hmm. in a way that actually motivates a team. Um, that might be just them trying to make a, a, a you know, a lemon, <laughs> a lemonade of lemons, but, yeah. um, I find that really fascinating. And, and in a sense, what we're doing for Widget Satchel is sort of like that, but not quite that, um, uh, not quite that demanding of a of a sort of a just a, that vertical slice. It's a very narrow, narrow experience yeah. that has everything in the game or tricks you into thinking everything in the game is there. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's one type. Uh, another one is sort of a limited time demo. So these are definitely in the area of like commercial demos, things you download off an app store or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that's like uh, thirty minutes before it times out. Right. You, it, it is the full game, but it has limitations. Yeah. Um, and then, um, uh, and of course, that's also uh, a limited content in that sense as well, where it's just like one level, the first level, or, or sometimes it's like the third level or whatever yeah. of a game that's just presented as a demo. Um, and then there's the uh, ones that are like limited features. So the full game, but you don't have this power up or this thing. And that's generally the, the realm of like um, persistent online games. Um, where it's, uh, it's kind of gets close to free to play. You could almost describe a free to play game as a demo, sort of, before you either buy the things you need to have more full experience or to unlock everything else, right? There are games mm-hmm. that are free to play but don't have free to play mechanics. Like, they're just literally free to play and then you spend the 10 or 15 or $20 to unlock the full game or something. Right. Mm. Um, so th- that's kind of the broad, you know, the, it, and when you think about each one of those things and you call them each a demo, they're completely different experiences mm-hmm. and they have totally different purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll try to talk about all of them interchangeably because why not? Um, <laughs> But yeah, they have different purposes. So, yes. um, like the one of the main ones is like as a beta, right? Mm-hmm. Just so you can get feedback on the game. Exactly like right. That. I mean, and we, you know, we know a lot about that here in this community because right. of the, you know, the playtest events that we hold and the different kinds of events we bring our games to. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly less in a promotional capacity, but more in a uh, demo capacity. Right. Um, and then as time moves on, it, it, they, those crossover. It's sort of partly as as a, a for playtesting, partly for promotion. And then slowly, it's just for promotion once the game gets closer to being finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's great to see games in this community are, are now crossing that threshold. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's not just a bunch of people working on things. It's a bunch of people like rounding the corner at third base and getting it almost done. You know? mm-hmm. um, and seeing what, how they bring out their games and show them. Um, but a lot of times, that's just the full build, right? Like in those cases, when, when people do that. Yep. Um, um, and yeah, so a beta would be just the whole experience usually. Mm-hmm. But then there's you know promotionals like we talked about, and then um, ones that that I find most interesting are ones that are um, just have special content that they're just specifically for the demo mm-hmm. and not uh, not a demo of the game, but kind of almost like a prequel or like a little side experience. Um, uh, so uh, a famous one is uh, when um, uh, Konami was going to do a reboot of Silent Hill, uh, calling it Silent Hills. They uh, with um, with uh, Kojima as a producer on it. There's yeah. A lot of big hype, and and um, they put out a demo called PT, which stood for Playable Teaser, I think. Uh-huh. And this is horror experience, and um, we never know how much of that was going to be in the game because they canceled that game. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But um, and the, you can't even download the demo anymore because like the drama, drama. Yes. Um, but the demo was always described as something that was totally separate from the actual game. It was just it was almost like a proof of concept for the style they wanted to make the game in, like. Um, even if you if you restarted that game right, like if you if that game was uncancelled, like that demo would not have give you anything to start with. Really, mm-hmm. it would just be like it's this extra side experience, completely separate thing. Oh, that reminds me, isn't the Hello Gears all the Phantom Pain that was like a demo too? Yeah, like, but you had, had to pay twenty bucks to get it or something, right? Well, there was like a little prequel thing to that. Yeah, um, yeah, and it, there's, I mean, I mean, certainly we could d- open up the definition to say like a, a paid demo that's just like a little tiny episode, mm. and yeah, the. Um, so Metal Gear Solid Five, the Phantom Pain was the full game, but then yeah. they had uh, Ground Zeroes was the name of the yes. little experience, and yeah, it was, I guess it was twenty bucks, so that's like a full right. price. Right. Um, but it was always meant to be a little teaser uh, for the full experience. That, that, I mean, that also brings to mind um, early access games. But now yeah. we're talking about early access, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you can buy access to early access games, and then you can as, as a beta thing, and you can test the games out and give them feedback and in. <laughs> Well, I like how you're chewing the marshmallows. You can hear that <laughs> a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, but you can like buy the game ahead of time uh, and like give feedback and like influence the game a little bit, so that's yeah. appealing to a lot of people, right? And um, that, that's kind of an inverse of what a a, a demo generally does, which yeah. is to promote itself to uh, to get you to buy the full experience. It's you buy the full experience to to do the playtesting. 
Um, and that sounds cynical when I say it, but like th- those are these are all legitimate ways to do it. And th- the definition is so broad and wide, really depending on the content that you're producing for this, as well as the purpose in which you're producing it for. Yes. Um, I just find that incredibly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so much more fluid. And there's so many more options to developers these days. Um, right. Less than it was in the old days, really, yes. about like how you could actually present these things. And you could be really novel in your own approach. Um, you know, some people do early access games, which are like close to no content like just li- almost nothing mm-hmm. and and they ask people to it's almost like a kickstarter thing where you you buy on faith and then you know as well as a seat, get a seat at the table yeah um and then the other ones that do early access in like near final release just to drum up some hype but also not waste their release win- window promotional time right so people use early access in totally different ways as yeah well. yeah that's uh, a bunch of different strategies and stuff yeah and i think that should be like a separate topic to talk about Probably. <laughs> well, I'll shut up about it then. I'm sorry. <laughs> I brought it up. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, like there's a whole bunch of different demos. I, I do want to bring up that like triple uh, A games, the triple A game space has somewhat wised up to like the, the, the idea of demos yep. in that like they oftentimes are, they can potentially be harmful to sales instead of beneficial. Yeah. Largely because, uh, People who are playing the demo either do not know enough about the game and they want to know information about it, which that's why you're making the demo, or they're already going to buy the demo and they just want more content for this game. And mm-hmm. so they want it ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, but like the demo can have adverse effects in that they'll play the demo and realize it's not for them and then not want to uh, buy the game later on. So so they don't waste, end up wasting their money on it, but then the company doesn't get that sale right. from someone being like oh i want to check this out mm-hmm. yeah yeah if you if you don't really believe in your product you don't want, you don't want people to give it, get a taste yes. that's the really that's the worst case scenario of that yeah. you put out a bad demo and then that does a bad thing but mm-hmm. the, supposedly if you believe enough in your product you think that that will help along yeah. help along um, but it's very common i mean i think the reason that, that that's become conventional wisdom mm-hmm. I mean, it's why people don't do demos anymore mm-hmm. and we were talking before the show about like categorizing that um, uh, like when is a good time to do it because we have examples in our own like gaming history of times where we played a demo and that really got us excited about a product mm-hmm. but then also but an inverse and so it's kind of like well shouldn't that all just balance out in the end like um, but I think it the 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 what we're trying to uh, um, pinpoint is um, when is when is it good to make a demo yeah right yeah and and and, and when is it bad so yeah. let's well, let's round to that thesis in a minute but let's talk about the ones that we examples that we have mm-hmm. uh for games that we played uh that or demos that we played that got us on board or uh, or got us off yeah uh well uh this is i guess a conflicting one for us but like i really i like the near automata demo yeah enough to buy the game uh whereas mark played the demo and did not like it and yeah. did not want to decided not to buy the game at that point right right so i mean sentient robots i was all for it but like the the aesthetics of that game it didn't appeal to me at all, mm-hmm. and but I heard so many good things. And mm-hmm. like, all right, I'll try, I'll try this demo. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I don't like this gameplay either. <laughs> I, I was the same way. I was like, I'm not really interested in this. I'm I'm not crazy about robots, but I mean, robots are all right. Uh, well, we'll fight later. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I like action beat 'em ups. Uh, so I was like, okay, I'll give this thing a shot. And yeah. I played it. And I was like, oh, this thing has depth. And so I I I download I played it and downloaded it, and then I bought the game, and I spent. Like the next day, I played it until five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> right, that's a great example of like it did exactly what it needed to do. Like yeah, it it I didn't it was not a game for me, mm-hmm. and it proved it. And so maybe they missed out on my sale, but like it was also the right thing. Yeah, right. You also missed out on your bad review that you might have given. That's it. a good point. Oh, that <laughs> right. is that's a fascinating concept because like that wasn't an issue uh, in like the PlayStation era when they had demo discs. You didn't have to worry about people giving you bad reviews except on, on magazines and stuff. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, user reviews. Like, uh, certainly on Steam, user reviews are a big deal. Mm-hmm. And less so in the console space and less so in the olden days. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like, I guess a demo can prevent that from happening. Unless, well, I, you can, if, if it's like an early access thing, you can still like give a user review. So that probably won't work in that situation. Right. But at the same time, I mean, like, as a developer, I certainly want the people to play my game to be the types of people who would like my game. Yeah. But I'm also not uninterested in people just paying for my game and not liking it and yeah. then just never talking about it. Yeah. Like, I'm fine with that, too. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, you know, if they needed that money for something else, then maybe I'll feel bad. But like, <laughs> I'm okay with someone like, you know, so it is, it's, it becomes a matter of like, what's the motivation to make that demo? If, right. if, if it is like, I just want to make sure the right people pay their money. I don't want to, like, I don't think anybody has that in mind. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, that's true. true. That's true. Uh, I was going to talk about like the Fingence demo because we have a Fingence demo. Yeah. And I can bring that up. But, yeah, you made that a long, long time ago, right? Yes. It's still it available on your website, though. Extremely out of date. Yeah. And telling, I, was, I was telling Charles and Lane, we should really just remove her from our website. And I think they were like, we should just make another demo. And I guess it wouldn't be hard because like, all we'd have to do is make a new build and then yep. put it on the website. But I also don't want to do that because like, I want people to buy the game and get all the content and not just a piece of the content. Well, also, your game is at a... I mean, you don't have everything ready to go just yet, but yeah. like, you, there's so much... I mean, it's a complete experience now. Mm-hmm. So exactly. putting out a demo now would just be a free copy of Finch's. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't want that either. Um, yeah, so I, that's my feeling on it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's been very helpful. Like, I've, I've told people about it. I give them the flyers. I'm like, we have a demo on our website. But then I, I, when I tell people that, I'm like, oh, wait, it's like six months old. It's like eight months old. It's now a year and it's over a year old now. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not that helpful mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, and also, when I give people fires of it, oftentimes they will have just played the game because I was showing it to them. Yeah. So, like, it's not that helpful then either. Mm-hmm. I think I was trying to, like, drum up a community, but, like, we didn't do a good enough job, like, fostering that. We could have, like, made a Discord or something. Yeah. And then gotten yeah. people to talk about it on there. You know, there's that, like, this is, again, we're sort of outside the scope of the topic, but there's so many things that you do as an indie dev. Mm-hmm. Like you say drama community. Yeah. And, like, you, as, a, as a demo, it's like, you know, like, all the tweets that we send out. I mean, yeah. a lot of, I mean, really, when I tweet about my game, it's to game dev Twitter. Like, yeah. I'm not really thinking I'm going to get a lot of, like, customers out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's very useful. But I think a lot of those things, like, knowing when is the right time to put actual effort towards those things. Yeah. Is really challenging. Yes. Right? Like to know, and 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 that's like a demo. You're like, oh, that's just a thing you got to do, right, mm-hmm. to get people excited, right? But like, I mean, I mean, is it and when, you know? Yep. Um, so I'm I'm with you. I think just take it down. Like, yeah. You know, w- wait till you're closer to release to start doing that promotional push, and then maybe think about doing more of a limited content demo. All right, um, you heard it here first. <laughs> Taking the demo down. It's all because of Nice Games Club. <laughs> now you don't get to play Fendants. <laughs> no, no, you can just buy a copy and then you yeah. can play it. <laughs> well Martha you when talked about up. your like the way you're developing your point and click yes. and you talked about it in a way that you want to build it as a vertical slice so you have the full engine there before you start really pouring content into it right yeah so have you thought about you know certainly for playtest purposes that's very beneficial but have you thought about actually releasing something like that well I guess because I'm basically copying humongous games yeah um, they had demos on all of their discs mm. for other humongous games so mm-hmm. they would make um, basically it would be like one set of puzzles that were right at the beginning of the game. And some of them had like a different puzzle than actually ended up in the game. Okay. Oh, um, that's interesting. So I remember I would play the demos of some games I actually already owned. Just, mm-hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there were some that we'd hadn't gotten yet and I would play those and then eventually get them. So that was highly effective to show off their other franchises, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe having a demo where it's just one puzzle would mm-hmm. be kind of cool. I mean, it depends on what you're trying to do with your game, right? So I know that you, you, you've talked, uh, you want to make the game for your, your cousins. Yeah. So I haven't decided whether I want to do like a huge marketing thing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but since they play mostly on iPads, like that's their computer of choice yeah. <laughs> um like i might want to put it on the itunes store maybe yeah. and mm-hmm. they i i've heard that having demos on there is actually better or yeah. something yeah the than, sort of um maybe you know freemium is kind of the wrong word because it's been co-opted by free to play but the idea of having the demo that you unlock right that either there's an in in in-app purchase that's the full game um, that's a pretty common model. And it's a good in-between um, because the, no one wants to pay even a penny for a mobile game. Um, but if they, get, if they try it and they like it, then they're much likely to then rethink, reframe their thinking. I'm like, oh, this is worth something. How much is it worth? Mm-hmm. Instead of this is worth nothing, gimme, give gimme, give <laughs> which is generally <laughs> the attitude when you go to the store. Um, that's really mean. But, <laughs> um, but no, that's, a, that's a, probably maybe a good model for you. And your game might be well-suited to that 
And certainly from a promotional perspective, you can leverage the fact that that's how Humongous did it, right? And that's that, true. That, and so you can certainly get people's memories of that for that audience, the sort of retro-seeking uh, uh, audience. But then also, it was a model that worked for that type of game for the sort of younger audience that you might also be aiming at, right? Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like how we're talking about this because like, the per- I think it is that the purpose of the demo is what makes yeah. it important. Why, you decided, why you're deciding to make a demo um, should impact whether or not you even decide to do it because it does take some effort to make a demo. Yes. And that effort you're putting into the demo can, like, you know, it takes away from the actual development of the game in some cases. Right. You know, that's, that's really about planning your strategy and your production strategy. And yeah. so for Widget Satchel, we were very keen on trying to identify the things that, we, that were part of this, this sort of slice we're making for mm-hmm. publishers mm-hmm. Uh, and for platform holders. Um, Knowing that, okay, we're going to do this even though we know it's extra work. Yeah. Versus we're going to put this into the demo um, and then it's going to roll right into the final game. And we're trying to balance it just because we don't have a lot of time and we have no money. So, right. <laughs> um, we're tr- you know, we're trying to be efficient with it. Yep. So it's, it's uh, you know, there's the, there's the best way to do it. And then there's the way that the best way you can do it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's not always the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're definitely trying to, I mean, we'll see how it goes once we finish it, how much we're able to keep and how much we have to throw away. Yeah. Hopefully we won't have to throw away too much. Yeah. Yeah. But like in, in another example, maybe you're making a, a visual novel game and uh, you don't want to give away a lot of the story yeah. uh, in your game. So um, you can write a little short story re- um, relating to your characters and then release a demo for that and get people interested in the characters. And then when they enter and when they buy the game later, they have a little bit more context than other people. And alternatively, it's like an alternate story for people who are into the game to like also partake in later on. Yeah. So yeah. it could and be beneficial. That I way. find that, like I said, I find those really interesting. That sort of extra content yeah. as a demo. That reminds me of, um, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but uh, there's a web comic I read called Stand still, stay silent. Right, yeah. And the mm-hmm. woman who writes that is now making a game, and it's the same characters, but it's a totally different story than what it's in the comic. Um, so basically, the comic is like one of those demos that has is completely not related to the game, yeah. But introduces you to all the characters, like they're all going to be the same p- personalities and stuff. So right, right, right. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it becomes part of that universe in a way that then, because a lot of times demos then get forgotten or cast off once yep. the game is out. But in yeah. a case of like that, then it can just be part of it as it extra experience. And then it becomes worth doing. Right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Do you know who I think has the perfect demo strategy is budget cuts? Because yeah. I want that game so badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, when you mentioned that earlier, it's like, oh, of course, that's the perfect counterexample to the common wisdom of don't make a demo. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's because it was, that was the first thing anyone saw from them. And I think that's the difference is like, if you're a, if you're a triple A publisher, you have, you know, a modest production budget as an indie uh, or PR budget, you can put out trailers and tweets and get people excited, get some press. Um, and then a demo can only disappoint people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all it can do. And that's why sales get cut when you release a demo. Um, but if you've got nothing and you make a splash with a demo, um, then that becomes that. Then you're coming from nothing. So I think that I really think that's the difference. Because budget cuts, yeah, I'm. I, they, I mean, they barely even have a trailer, really. Like yeah. it's just that demo is all they have, and the game is coming out in a couple weeks. Like, and we're all gonna buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I think that's a good point. Uh, you brought up another game. What was it Oct- Octopath Traveler? Is that the name of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's a Square Enix RPG. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Nintendo's been talking about it on. Um, uh, the the directs and stuff, but like I don't really know anything about the game. But like, there's a demo out, and you can play it, and it's just been good news from that demo, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, it's helping advertise the game. It's helping um, them get press to be interested, and it's helping them get people interested in building a community and such. So like, it's beneficial in that way because it's a completely new IP. But that is like one specific example. Yeah, I think in general, it's just good advice to maybe not do it unless you're trying to maybe not make a demo unless you're trying to like show yeah. it to people at a, an event or something. Cause that's a different situation. Right. Right. Mm. Um, the one example that I thought did these sort of uh, did all of the things wrong. Mm. And maybe this is just because of my experience with it. I'm actually curious to see if this works well for other people mm-hmm. was the Stanley parable, which uh, it was originally this free sort of silly experiment uh, uh, that was put out. Uh, it was like a, a source engine hack or something and um, and I played that, and I thought it was really clever and funny, and it got a lot of press, and it was really popular. And then it was like, okay, we're going to make a full thing. And then then they released um, a demo for the full 
game. Uh-huh. And the demo is a shorter experience, but it, is, it also is totally separate from the game itself. Hmm. And I remember playing that, kind of being excited. I played that demo and I hated it. <laughs> like I was just like, that sense of humor, it was so grating and difficult to like power through. And I was rolling my eyes constantly. I'm like, oh, you think you're so clever. And like, it's not, this, is not a, this is not a full review of the game. It's just my my like physical reaction to it. It was just like, I can't believe I liked this before. Mm-hmm. But the, the problem wasn't that I hated the idea because I was still excited about that idea, right? And that, that concept. It was that I knew the demo was its own thing. And when I went through the demo, I was like, wait, and now I have to start, the game is like a whole other deal. Like, I kind of wanted to just continue from there. Yeah. And not have to suffer through <laughs> like another bunch of like, jokes at my expense mm-hmm. and like you know uh like a, a random twists and 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 silly things that were pretended to be deeper than they were okay now i'm just being really really <laughs> but like it, it, it you know like i had only so much patience for that concept sure and after i played the demo i'm like i don't want any more of this mm-hmm. but i would have just bought that game <laughs> like if i didn't have if you know if the demo i don't know if i would have I don't know, because I, I did play the demo to to uh, evaluate it. Yeah. So you know, maybe I'm not uh, uh, giving a fair uh, assessment of what would have happened, but it feels like the demo just like to, like I had enough of that concept. I sure. Ha- I had enough. Yeah. I didn't want to pay for more of it. That's that's I mean that's that's a thing that demos can do. Like they yeah. might. Uh, oh, like that reminds me of what was the name of the game? There's a fighting game where you can only they have a demo version where you can only play as one character. His name is Jago. It's a really famous game. How about uh, Killer Instinct. Killer okay, Instinct. Yeah. That's the name of the I was like, Primal Rage? That's the, <laughs> that's the other one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Killer Instinct, they released it where you could just play as one character uh, as a demo version. And if you wanted to play as more characters, you could buy the game. Um, I remember I played it and they had like a tutorial thing. And I was like, oh, man, this is heavy in combos and stuff. And I don't really like fighting games that are heavy, combo heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't think I want to get this. So that is an example of a game where it, it kept me from buying it, too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm thinking of Sonic 06, but that game is bad for different reasons. Uh, <laughs> it was yeah. horribly buggy, and I couldn't actually get through the demo. Right. So that just told me that the game was probably not going to be much better. Right. It wasn't that you're bad at video games. No, definitely okay. not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at them, I swear. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I think the last thing I want to talk about before we move on mm-hmm. is um, the shareware era. Right. You guys, oh. you guys are probably not quite old enough for that but like uh <laughs> <Maybe>. like <laughs> early 90s games yeah. the doom was a, a, a wolfenstein and uh, uh 3d realms which went went on and made uh duke nukem 3d but uh but but hold on they did good things too um <laughs> they also uh, pioneered this this model of of uh giving you the first chapter of a game for free mm-hmm. and then what and then it was called shareware it was meant to share all over the place and then you would buy the rest of it so it's not an uncommon model to, to you know what you could do like in mobile or whatever yeah but in an era before the internet in an area where video games had a hard time um promoting themselves as a legitimate product much less as the legitimate art form yeah um uh, the uh shareware was a way to build word of mouth uh in a way that um i think now is probably a little it, the context is different um, but that was a big deal. You'd, you'd this floppy disk. You just copy them, and it worked because because you know everyone had two A drives or whatever. <laughs> like that was pretty common to be able to copy like you know uh, floppies. And so um, uh, you would you, you would it would spread it far and wide, and then with it at the end you would have a, a like it literally was like an order form. Like you filled out and mailed to like get the. I don't remember exactly all wow. the ways they did it, but um, but yeah, it was that same sort of idea. And the thing is, is a lot of people did remember their memories of Doom are just that first chapter because they never bought the full version. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it, it it had sort of ups and downs. But like, would those people have? They would never would have heard of Doom otherwise. Right. So so is it a bad thing that they didn't end up buying it? Like it, compared to if they didn't have that that first chapter for free. Well, would they have bought the future the the sequel Dooms now that they're out exactly, if they right. hadn't had that nostalgia? It's like planting the seed for not necessarily this game, but maybe games way down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that that word about that awareness is really important. And that's that's a thing in mobile why a lot of games are either free to play or freemium, not just because of the, that's the model that works on in mobile, but because it's a volume business. And so you need a lot of people to at least know about it before right. you have any market at all. Um, and that, that was, that was pioneered in that sort of shareware era. Um, because it kind of, I mean, it was, it sort of cracked open a thing that it, it was like just hard to sell PC games at that time. Yeah. And so it was, it was an innovative uh, way to get it out there. And then it's interesting to see, like early access is another example of like a new thing that people are using in new ways and maybe even non-standard ways 
to do a similar thing to what those games did. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. Do you guys ever have any shareware games? No. Uh, <laughs> I think I remember the computer that we had that had a floppy drive. Yeah. Oof. But <laughs> I was I was really Wait. little. <laughs> there was a game called Netstorm. Uh-huh. I think we had the demo and then we bought the game because we played the demo all the time. And it used to just I don't remember a lot of it. It was like it was a uh, it was a turn-based strategy game. Which is kind of weird cuz I don't normally like turn-based strategy games. But no, was it turn-based or it was real time? Either way, I don't like those that much. Anyway, um I remember playing that and it was fun and I played played it with my brother and we like had to try to figure out how to like hook ourselves use our computers and hook ourselves together to play it against uh-huh. one another. Uh, I don't know if that was shareware or not, though. You know what? I'm, I just looked it up. Uh, yeah. It was uh, a demo of the game was released by Activision in 1997, but a flaw allowed users to convert it to a full version. Oh, nice. Uh, well, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> that means I wasted money. <laughs> oh, so you weren't one of those who uh, you didn't... You didn't uh, 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 take that flag or whatever. Weren't elite hacksaws? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't elite <laughs> <laughs> But apparently, it went up against Age of Empires and did not sell very well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just remember one of the quotes. The one of the, whenever you could play as like a thunder person or so or something, mm-hmm. and then like when you summoned anything, you'd be like, "For the thunder." <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who's that who's just walking in right now? <laughs> <laughs> and now a preview of coming attraction. Martho! Martho Sports Corner! Oh, good to see you again. <laughs> nice to see you as well. Today's topic is physical games. Games that you move and do stuff, like sports. Sports. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> sports! Uh. <laughs> sports are cool. Also, esports are the best sports. Okay, that is enough of Mortho's sports update. Back to Martha. Uh, Martha, you you missed Mortho again. What? I just went out and got some water. <sighs> I don't know. You really shouldn't leave that door unlocked, though, because <laughs> Mortho's trouble. <laughs> True. I hear she likes sports. <laughs> I hear that a lot as well. <laughs> Can confirm. Yeah. Like sports. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to talk about physical games um, because... We often don't think of them um, in when we think about game design because we're mostly on the computer and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but when I was a kid, I felt like I played more physical games than I did electronic games, mm-hmm. which might be because my parents didn't want me to play electronic games. But <laughs> um, also, I think they're they're like the thing that kids do to train themselves how to like move and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of like canonical games that pretty much everybody knows um, and like teachers teach their everybody and parents teach their kids and stuff like tag, I think is the like one of <laughs> yes. the most yeah. um, universal <laughs> games. Um, and there's like so many variations of tag. Um, we played one a lot uh, called ocean. T- I think it's called ocean tag. I'm not really sure. Ocean tag. But, you had basically a person who's it, who's in the, in the center of the room and uh-huh. everyone lines up on the other side. Uh-huh. And then everyone uh, who's not it, um, yells us the little chant, ships across the ocean, ships across the sea. Oh, it's ships across the ocean. That's what it's called. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> ships across the ocean, ships across the sea. Captain, captain, you can't catch me. Then the captain calls a color or something about people and uh-huh. then they... Those people, anyone wearing that color has to run across the gym yeah. or whatever space you're using. Oh, yeah, and I play that. if you get caught, you have to turn into a sea anemone. And so you're stuck uh, in that spot and you become a tagger. So if people um, run by you, you can tag them and then they become a sea anemone. Oh, okay. See, I played something that sounds very similar to that, but it was not sea themed at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably just some generic game like running tag or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but that's, yeah, I remember that. That was fun. When we played that, that was a good time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of those games that are very much um, uh, school gym appropriate, like mm-hmm. they, yeah. that require a lot of people. Uh, like Red Rover is another one. Yeah. Oh that- God! Okay, so Red Rover <laughs> is a terrible game, and no one should play it anymore. Uh-huh. And 
should never teach your children how to Wait, play this why? game. why? Causes harm to living creatures. It causes <laughs> harm to living creatures. <laughs> I mean, only if you don't break through. No, because, okay, if you're the person who is holding, okay, this is what happened to me. And okay. this is why I'm bitter about Red Rover, sure. is that the person next to me was a lot stronger than me. Oh. And so we were holding hands yeah. and they were like, I'm not going to let this person through. So like literally crushed my hand as oh. they were holding it. And I was like, let's just break. And they're like, never. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That so happened. yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And then when the person breaks through, often it's a surprise. Yeah. So then they fall forward. And so yeah. can have, you know, if you're playing on a not grassy surface, yeah. they can like run into something or trip and fall onto concrete and I mean, stuff. Okay. It is the worst game ever. <laughs> That's part of the I've, appeal? Is the falling? Not what? falling on the concrete, obviously. Well, I, but like, Martha's getting at something bigger than that, which sure. is like the uh, uh, cooperation. Yeah. Right? Especially when you're playing with like classmates, like. Oh God! No, you know you're not you're not holding hands with your best friend. Like they're definitely they don't not. care about how hard they're squeezing your hand. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, that makes it like sort of awkward, and then uh, it all leads to strain and <laughs> and pain. Huh? Doesn't, okay. seem, doesn't seem worth it at all to me. I, I'm with you totally. Okay, sure. I don't know. I didn't have a bad experience playing Round Red Robin, Red <laughs> Rover, whatever it is. So, like I never played games like that mm-hmm. in the neighborhood with my friends. It was mm. always at school, yeah, because they yeah. Were, they needed a certain kind of organization and certainly a certain number of people, right, uh, to work at all. Really, if you play freeze tag with like five people, it's fine, you know. That's true. Oh, freeze tag! I forgot about freeze tag. Oh, there was a variation. I think I played called TV tag or something. And then, like, if you oh, got frozen, man. you could, like, if you said the name of a TV character or something, you could get unfrozen or something like that. I did that one, too. Yeah. And now that I think about it, like, that made no sense. It makes no sense at all. <laughs> it's super easy. There's so many characters. But you couldn't say the same you character over yeah. and over. Yeah. yeah. So well, it's easy at first. And then it got, if you said, I think we had a rule that if you said something that was said before, then you couldn't, then you were automatically out or it uh-huh. or whatever. Oh, okay. That, that's possible. Hmm. Yeah. Also, you're, like, eight. So like you don't have that yeah. many TV things, and your memory is shot. So like, <laughs> well, that goes to the design of these games. TV yeah. tag works uh, as a child because mm-hmm. you tend to all have similar. Maybe that's not fair, but like roughly similar experiences. You see the roughly similar things. Sure. Whereas this in this era of, of peak TV, like <laughs> you just name off Game of Thrones characters and you never ever have a problem. <laughs> that's true. You know. Yeah. So like it's about the uh, the design of these things, like mm-hmm. and who they're for. Right. Yeah. So we're talking about games that we play in school a lot, but there was also games that we played without any adult supervision. And they tended to be games that like were very tied to the place that we were playing them in. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was over at my friend's house and their staircase, someone can be on either side of it. And there's like little retaining walls on either side of it. Okay. And so we got a balloon and we had a bunch of balloons because it was think their birthday or something how did that work uh anyway um we played this game where we would try to hit the balloons back and forth to each other and um there was also someone on the stairway and you had to get if the balloon dropped we had like a certain number of seconds the the person in the the stairway had a certain number of seconds to get the balloon back up to us oh and we had this little chant that we would say about the balloons because we had this whole backstory about what the balloons were Mm -hmm. um they were like trying we were really into ancient egypt at that time so Uh we were pretending that like this was a stairway down to the like the ancient tomb and these were the (laughs) we called them skadoons (laughs) 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 yeah so and it's fun because when we like when um they come back from Living in New York City, we sometimes go up and play. Oh, and nice. It's fun. <laughs> um, we also had, uh, me and my brother, um, we re- really wanted to play baseball because we played backyard baseball, the Humongous game, a lot. Mm-hmm. And we were, like, super into it. But none of our friends wanted to play. And we didn't want to, like, there was no team we could sign up for that was, like, not at the same time as something else. Slash, we didn't actually want to be that serious about it. <laughs> um but we had a dog who loved <laughs> retrieving things. <laughs> so, and her name was Ruby. So we'd play Ruby ball where we, um, one of us would pitch and the other one would hit. And then Ruby would be the outfielder. And you had to <laughs> run around the bases before she could bring the ball back to oh, the wow. pitcher. That's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny. That's great. Yeah. Adapting those games is important to their longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, in my neighborhood, we had uh, two 
cul-de-sacs, right? And nobody had a yard big enough to play baseball in. So we played in a cul-de-sac because it was round. You could put the bases out and it was pretty good. But that also meant that we, <laughs> you know, it was kind of dangerous playing in the street, basically. Um, we didn't have to worry about cars so much, but we had to worry about like, you know, skin knees and falling over and things. Yeah. So uh, we also played with a tennis ball so we could hit home runs, right? And so, and we had a couple of different rules variations, like whose driveway counted as in and out and stuff like that. And there was a big fern tree in the outfield. And if you, it, like, depending on how you hit it, like you would just call that a home, you know, like there's lots of things de- on the, depending on the place as well. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're, I think when you make, if you want to make a game like this, it needs to be flexible. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay. That's why there's so many different tag variations. That's true. Yeah. Calvin ball. <laughs> just remember the oh Calvin my gosh, ball. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Right, yeah, games have to be they have to be breakable too, yes. right? You have to be able to have players cheat and make rules that don't, don't work. Oh. And this the still score be fine. is still Q to Z. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I love Ruby Ball though, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. It was a good time. We used we didn't have a real baseball either, so we just used um wiffle ball, mm-hmm. wiffle bat. Uh-huh. Uh so that was that was pretty fun. Yeah. Um we also had this game. We called it stick tag, I think, or something like that. We had like different um, sheds in our backyard. We were off, off, often called like three sheds McGarry or something because we had no garage but lots of sheds. <laughs> and so <laughs> we would make each shed like a base and um, anyone who wasn't it had to be on one of the bases um, and then run to the next one when a, um, like every couple seconds or something mm-hmm. um you could only stay on a base for like like you had to count to five but the person who was it could block one of the bases with a stick oh and could hmm. move the stick around to different places so you had to like strategize where you're going to run or if the per- person was going to put the stick down and yeah that one was really fun mm-hmm. um and there was something with the tire swing in our backyard too where they had to like the person who was it had to be touching the tire swing before the people ran or something like that anyway that was fun um did you guys make up any games when you were kids no i was boring i just played video games (laughs) and i didn't really have friends either i mean i had friends in school but like we didn't hang out after school Mm -hmm. at least not in elementary school i had one friend who i could like go to but i didn't do that until like sixth grade so i didn't spend that much time with him uh, I had school friends too, but yeah. I had neighborhood friends. Yeah. They, were, they were different people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Actually, I take it back. When I was, uh, before I moved to where I, my parents are now, um, I, I I used to have these two uh, brother and sisters. Their names were Ryan and Nina, and we used to, no, we just played video games. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Gonna sit this one out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we did a lot of Nerf War. Oh, nice. Um, so ah. it was indoor a lot of times, but outdoor sometimes when we weren't afraid of losing these things. Um, <laughs> but this was before you could go to Target and buy like a 30 pack of darts. Like, right. so you had to keep track. Inventory was a big deal. <laughs> like, we, like we were children and didn't care about breaking or losing things, but we were really, really intent on making sure that all the darts of the various types were all accounted for yeah. at the beginning and end of the match because yeah. it would affect our future fun. And so... <laughs> But what we do is we we build uh, in my in my uh, parents' basement. We build two forts, one out of pillows and one out of sheets. Like they had to be different for some reason. Mm. I don't know why we thought that. And so we built them together, and so that, that everyone could be like, "Yep, this is good. This is good." And then we would. You're not cheating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'd split up, and we and we'd have a nerf war, mm-hmm. and there'd be various different rules, like one hit you're out, three hit you're out, or or like having to hit a target or break a thing. And uh, this was also in the days where you had the big nerf arrows. Uh, oh, yeah. so, so they could actually knock things over pretty good. Oh, dang. So, uh, and you know, we were not super great children architects. So our forts fell over pretty good with these darts. So, um, so we had different variations, but then we would always switch forts. Mm. Like, uh, oh, cool. to, to, to balance that out. It was pretty interesting. Like, and, and so we spent probably more time planning than playing. Yeah, um, when we did those things, that sounds that's just like that just sounds like good game design. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. back then, and I love how y'all would switch places at the end too. Just like in, that encourages yeah. people to not like make their fort super beefy if right. they knew yeah, they were yeah. going to be in well, it. We, because well, as we put them together, we were invested in both of them being good. Yeah, you know, regardless of whether we were playing it, I don't think we were super motivated by the switching back and forth. It was 
And I don't even know if we were motivated by fair play. I think we were just motivated by fun building because mm-hmm. we wanted it to be cool and whatever. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good. Mm-hmm. So it, we kind of rolled in a lot of activities into one. Yeah. It, it, that way. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. I like that. No, I wish I had stuff like that. Jeez. Yeah. I think we built, we built forts and stuff sometimes. But like we didn't play in them. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I also could just not remember anything off of my childhood. <laughs> I mean that could also be true yes it could also be true I'm sure Charles will correct me later the perpetual student <laughs> and we'll have to get his inside scoop on what did, <laughs> yeah, what I, did Stephen play as a kid <laughs> I kind of because when he comes back from the Luth from school mm-hmm. um, he will listen to our episodes and then he will text me all the information that I got wrong Yep. I kind of want to just make a perpetual student corner where I just read off Charles' corrections <laughs> <laughs> on the show. We should 100% do that. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. Okay. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, I've, been, I've been thinking a lot about how, as we've been talking about how a lot of the games, like physical games that we played as kids have like video game analogs, sort yeah. of. Like your base, it's like a base building. It's kind of like, like real time. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, like, I remember we would play sort of, like, RPG sort of things, like, when we were playing pretend or, like, tra- farming sims, maybe? Yeah. Like, I was really into Redwall books, so I forced all my friends to play moles with me, and we would <laughs> pretend to make, like, like burrows and uh, have, like, a stick economy and stuff like that. Awesome. Uh, that was super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also really fortunate to have an awesome gym teacher when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, at my school, his name was Pete, or is Pete, <laughs> still teaching. Um, and uh, he would make up all of these like awesome games for everyone to play, and they'd be really fun, and we wouldn't notice that we were like getting exercise and stuff. Um, <laughs> That's the point of a lot of these games. <laughs> That's the key to teaching children. Yeah. They don't. They shouldn't be noticed. They shouldn't notice it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he'd like have us do stuff that we, we wouldn't even consider to be like gym things like he had us do competitive cup stacking so we'd have to like um do some sort of relay running to get to the cup stack and then we'd have to like stack all these cups in a certain configuration that he would show us and then like Mm. de-stack them and then run back and like tag the next person who would then have to run up and like do the same cup stacking thing they used to do that cup stacking was like a whole thing for a couple of years a long a little while ago I don't remember when that was, but yeah, that reminds me of like that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was some sort of popular thing because mm-hmm. I remember it being cool. Right, like it was like <laughs> we're doing cup stacking. I know. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why was that a thing? I, don't I can't know. remember. I don't know, look this up. Yeah, we should look it up. <laughs> look for that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Why were cups cool? Um, <laughs> no, no. Why did people think cups were cool? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have anything like that in gym. It was, I mean, it was dodgeball. It was it. Uh, we, didn't have, we didn't have any of that creativity. We had to play dodgeball too sometimes. That's when I was like, Pete, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he also had this really cool game. So it was like, um, you'd hit, a, someone would be, there'd be outfielders and there'd be infu- uh, uh-huh. uh, people who were hitting. Uh-huh. And so they, someone would throw the ball and you'd hit, try to hit the ball. And if you hit it, then you ran to first base and, um, so far, it's baseball. Yes. Right. <laughs> but at each base, there is another activity. Oh. So at first base was jump roping. And you had to jump rope like 10 times or something mm-hmm. uh, without missing. And the outfielder at that base also had to do it. Um, and they couldn't start until the person with the, the until the ball got to that base. Mm-hmm. So, um so then when you were done with your jump roping, you'd go to run to second base, which was the basketball hoop. And you'd have to get three baskets or try seven times or something like that. Huh. And then the outfielder at that base also had to do it. And then um, at the third base was, um, they had, he had these like super old fashioned wooden bowling pins uh-huh. that were like super wobbly and um, wouldn't stand up very well. And so you had to make it stand up with your feet. <laughs> and if you could get all that and get back and and the third base person had to do that too and so if you could get back to the home plate after doing all these things before the outfielding team could get someone back there then you would get a point you're basically basically describing double dare what is that a (laughs) no 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 just that idea of like multiple little activities in service of a larger 
like activity. That's really interesting. <laughs> I love that game so much. Yeah. I can't remember what he called it, mm-hmm. but yeah, I played soccer when I was a kid. Uh huh. That's all I have. <laughs> I just remember playing soccer. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever play Foursquare? No. I remember we were always in. Um, we were always fighting against the soccer people because the four square things were on the soccer field. Oh, okay. Or where the, the place on the playground where they would play soccer. Yeah. Soc- <laughs> Much to my mom's chagrin because she would have to go get Wait a minute, the doesn't soccer Doesn't four square balls. require like a paved surface? Yeah, they were playing on the, the blacktop. Yikes. You got to yeah. do what you got to do. <laughs> they were hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, soccer was a big deal when I was in elementary school. Like we always, most of the people played soccer. Um, and I remember I was really bad at it, and even though I wasn't like in teams and stuff, yeah, I was just never good. Mm-hmm. And that's my story. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, <laughs> you're highlighting sort of the difference between like you know children's sports yeah. and children's games. Yep, yep. Where it's not so much the activity. I mean, you, the children's sports don't tend to be wacky the way that that Pete's inventions were. Mm-hmm. But I mean, really, the real difference is the sort of like attitude you bring to come to it, and like. The fact that like the teams are different each time, I imagine, and uh, it, it's about play and not about um, not about sport. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's true. It's more about um, cooperating and and or like everyone has the contract of like we're going to play this thing and it's going to be fun, as opposed to we're going to win. <laughs> right, exactly. Which doesn't it doesn't mean that you subside the competitive spirit or anything, or don't gloat when you win. Mm-hmm. But like <laughs> you approach it differently. Yeah, you know. Yep. Um, yes. Are there examples of games I can play now instead of me talking about how depressing my childhood was? You do seem really down about this. I know, because I just, I, I, it's just that I don't know. I don't remember any physical games that I used to play. Yeah. Um, I remember playing a bunch of uh, video games and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was us. We were homebodies. Yeah. Um, but now I'm an adult and I have money and could potentially buy physical games uh, a whole yeah. field to play it yes <laughs> <laughs> but what do i do in it that's my question uh-huh um you had brought up there was what's it uh, johan sebastian uh joust yes that's a, a recent example of like c- recapturing childhood in, mm-hmm. in, in the digital age uh it's a game uh by Dikuda fabric i think is how you say it okay um and it's uh you play with playstation move controllers and playstation move controllers have those big uh, bright uh light bulbs on the top of them and so the concept, and they have accelerometers. So the concept is very simple. Everyone holds a move controller, and you can have like eight or ten of them or whatever. And um, it, if you move it too quickly, the light blinks and a little noise comes out or whatever, and, and you lose. So the, the idea is just you, you win if the, th- the alarm doesn't go off. But you play in a field, and you stand around a bunch of other people. And so your goal is to make them move quickly where you don't. So it's really interesting to watch uh, videos of people playing this game because they're sort of sneaking around each other, swatting at each other with their free hand and trying to hold their move controller like it's an ice cream cone or something and they don't want to spill it. It's really interesting. That's so cool. It's perfectly balanced in that way because the thing you want someone else to do is something you don't want to do. And like, but the, the technical elements of it are fairly rudimentary. Uh-huh. It's, the design is just really clever. And... Um, it was shown off at festivals and stuff and, you know, various places uh, uh, for a couple of years. And then it got released as a PlayStation game because Sony was like, someone's using the move controllers? Whoa, <laughs> we, we got to get that out there. Um, and it was part of a, a compilation called Sports Friends, uh, which was a bunch of mini games, um, uh, uh, including uh, Johann Sebastian Joust. But the other games were sports themed uh, indie titles that you did play on a TV screen. But uh, Johann Sebastian Joust, you really can't, shouldn't play in your living room. It's meant to be played out in a park or something. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really really cool. I bet you could probably repurpose uh, uh, phones work similarly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm almost certain you could. Yeah. Um, but you know, the idea of, the, of a game like that is it's a physical game that like children really wouldn't do well in that game, mm. right? It's a it's a game that's as fun as those playground experiences, but it has a definite adult engagement and huh. in, in that sort of sense of strategy. But it still is silly and fun, and you can play it with that sort of fun friendly attitude. Where like when you're out, it's okay, but it's not tag, right? I think getting adults to play tag is probably a a pretty big ask. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, um, because you just would get either tired of it or like it would be too silly. Like there's not just the sense of like you know sort of uh, um, decorum and embarrassment we develop as adults, but I think the game is not robust enough for adult attention, mm-hmm. right? The way it is among children. But Johann Sebastian Joust is an example that got that idea, but it uses those different sensibilities. I'd yeah. love to see more stuff like that. Yeah. Totally. Martha, you should make a lot of games for us. You have, you can get Pete to be your sensei. And like, yeah. <laughs> Let's go, go back and talk to Pete. Yeah. Yeah. 
work up a couple of those for Glitch's birthday party. Oh my gosh, that'd be so cool. Yeah, you, you got two weeks. Plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I feel like a lot of physical game sort of ideas will be coming back with VR mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. so movement-y. Yeah. So I think it'd be, I'm excited to see what happens with that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, yeah, there's yeah. nothing really pure about a, a, a field and open air as much as we like to think there is. Like, you could do these things in VR, indoors, yep. or whatever. It's, That's yep. true. Well, we should go outside, though. We should go outside sometime, For you other guys. reasons, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, now that it's you warm wanna... out, you guys, it's so warm out. It's 48 degrees, yay! <laughs> oh, yeah, goodness. <laughs> Steven, weren't you saying you want to record an episode outside? That would be really fun. Yeah? Yeah, I don't know how we would manage to do that, and y'all would just hear wind and junk. But, <laughs> but we'd be in an even better mood. Yes. <laughs> it would be the best show ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. You can also give us feedback at nicegames.club slash feedback. <laughs> wow, so much enthusiasm from my team. <laughs> we also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how you're doing, send us your topics, and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find out more about the show, You're a Nice Host, and as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So, till we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. We need a theme for you, Martha. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I come with my own theme music, yes. as you can hear. <laughs> <laughs>